Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, we want to go back to John's Gospel. We're in chapter 21. We're having breakfast with Jesus by the sea, and we opened this last Sunday. And today we continue in John 21. This is where John gives us an eyewitness account of how Jesus reached and how he restored his men who had failed so miserably. These men were anything but faithful to the Lord Jesus. None of them were diligent in prayer on the night when Jesus was betrayed. Instead of being bold for Christ, they all deserted him in his hour of greatest need. All four of the Gospels give a a record of the importance of the Scriptures being fulfilled. And of the night of the betrayal, Matthew recorded the importance of the fulfillment and of the failure of Jesus' disciples in Matthew 26, verses 55 through 66, or 56. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then, and here's what each of the disciples recorded. In some way, all the disciples left him and fled. Now, Mark gives us the eyewitness account of the apostle Peter. And in Mark 14 and verse 50, simple, straight to the point, and they all left him and fled. They were scared. They ran out of that garden. In Luke 22, we see the greatest denial of Peter, uh, denying Christ. We'll come back to that, look at that in a few moments. John recorded in John 18 how awful this night was. Judas betrayed Jesus. The 12 were protected by Jesus, along with the denial of Peter who denied Christ three times, a significant number for Peter. In John 21, we see as as readers how Jesus did not walk away from his men. He didn't throw them away, but rather he took the men that he loved through the final stages of discipleship to bring them to completion. Let me ask you the question. What do you think a Christian should do with friends or with relationships that fail or fall apart? The answer, you probably know it. We need to do what Jesus did. We need to respond like Jesus did. And so this is important as we study John 21. How was Jesus? How was he able to reach in and restore these men who had failed so miserably, the Son of God? What does Jesus' loving response mean for us when we struggle and when we fail? Because who hasn't failed the Lord? I have. You have. The disciples did. So we see Jesus respond to them. Well, what does that mean for us? How is that helpful to us? And then it carries out. It goes somewhere. And how then should I respond toward those who are struggling around me? 
How should I respond toward those who have maybe walked away in, in relationship or even walked away from church or, or fellowship or church membership or they've, they've walked away from their marriage covenant? How are we to respond to these individuals? What transformed these disciples? I'm going to say the same thing that transformed John the Baptist, the woman at the well of Samaria, Nicodemus, the man born blind, John chapter 9, what we've looked at in this entire series of living boldly was the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what would change Peter, and that's what would absolutely and radically change John. The love of Christ. So John 21, I'm just going to begin where we were last week after this. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Then they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, the one writing this book, I believe, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love those words. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so it was so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So last week, we began our study in this way. We saw this, the master's recipe for restoration. Jesus searched, and he found his disciples who were the doubters. He found his disciples in the middle of there. Where did he find them? They were frustrated. They went back to their former way of life. They were waiting on Jesus, and they completely failed. But that's where Jesus searched, and he found them. They went back to fishing. That's what they did really well before they met Jesus. And that night without Jesus, they couldn't catch anything. Now, this week, I asked some of our children to help me out with this sermon. And so we have pictures from kids of all ages. Uh, the first picture that was sent in is from Carol, and she's two years old, our youngest artist, of what it must have looked like in her uh, imagination for Jesus 
to find these disciples there by the sea. We see a fire going, and we, we see these men. And, and Carol, great, great job. At two years old, uh, here's a portrayal of what was going on as she heard the story being read by her mom. Harper sent in a picture, and she's thinking about the sea, and she's thinking about all the things that you can find in the sea. We, we've got a catfish and a dogfish and a starfish. We've got the shrimp and the dolphin, the ever-important eight fish. You've got to have one of those. And here's the tadpole with an eye patch. Such great detail. Thank you, Harper. Thank you, Carol, for sending in those pictures. Jesus found these men. He loved these men. He searched. He found them. But what we want to know is what is he going to say? How is he going to respond to these men who are discouraged? They walked away. What did we learn last week? He spoke words of peace. He spoke words of peace to these discouraged men. He communicated concern for his men and command over nature. He was concerned about his guys. At the dawn, he was standing on the shore, already had a fire going, already had bread, already had fish. And then he gives a command, cast your net on the right side. You will find some. And they did. Now, Kendall and Lola, they sent in a picture. And Kendall, she portrayed, and we see in her picture, here's the boat out on the Sea of Galilee. Here's fish and some other things. There's the fire waiting on the shore. Lola sent the picture. She didn't actually have to send it. She just gave it to me. Here's the disciples in the boat, uh, the the six of them. The, The net is just filled with fish, fish out here trying to figure out what's going on. One disciple falling over, another one fell down in the boat. Here's Peter just throwing himself into the sea, and here's Jesus. He's got breakfast ready on the shore. Great job, girls. Thanks for giving those to me. We saw also how would Jesus treat these men. We heard what he said. He went after them. He found them. He spoke words of peace to them. How is Jesus going to treat these men? They come to the shore. Peter got there first. And we learned last Sunday that Jesus served his disciples with humble kindness. He displayed providence. He provided for them. And partnership, he shared with them. He invited them to, to add something that they caught into the morning menu. And Vincent and Ivy sent in some amazing pictures. Here's Vincent's picture. He's four years old. And here's the fire over here. And I think this is Jesus and his disciples, and they're ready to eat. Ivy, uh, her picture, we see Jesus calling to his men. I think these are the disciples down here. You got the fire. You got the fish ready to go. The sun has come up. Jesus' hands, he's just welcoming these serving hands Great job, Vincent. Great job, Ivy. Thank you for sending those. Jesus delighted. He took pleasure in serving his men. Come and have breakfast. He took delight in serving breakfast to his disciples. And Connor and, uh, and Sophia and Joel and Caden, they send pictures in about this breakfast. Here's, here's Jesus. This is Connor's picture. Simon Peter, he's over here. He's kind of sad. Thomas, he's still got that questioning look on his face. Nathan's over here. He's happy. He's ready to eat. There's bread. There's fish. There's the boat. Great job, Connor. Another photo by Sophia. We see Jesus at the head of the table. Got the fire ready over here. The disciples, the food is spread. We have fish. We've got bread. Everything we need, the table is ready. Great job, Sophia. Joel sent in a picture. You got the fire. You got this happy fish. 
on the grill, a fish probably, maybe this is Peter over here bringing the fish. Here you go, Jesus. You can have one of my 153 fish. Here you have Jesus and the boat and the water, the sun coming up. Great job, Joel. And, and the last picture sent in was uh, Caden's. We have Caden's picture. And you got the fire, you got the fish. Sun's up, Jesus, the disciples, ready to have breakfast together. I'm just thrilled with parents who took the time to read this story again and let their children hear the story, the word of God, and then their imaginations go to work on what they, what they would envision happening on that morning by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. Now let's get into the next section of our text this morning, John 21. How would Jesus restore these guys now? Okay, he found them. He spoke words of peace to them. He served them in humble kindness. But how is he going to bring this to completion? How will he restore these dysfunctional, doubting, and discouraged group of followers? Well, that's our fourth ingredient in the master's recipe for restoration. He spoke the truth in love to them. And this is for their discipleship. He spoke the truth in love. Jesus was intentionally investing into developing leaders. So doing this required truth and love. I'm going to read verse 15, beginning in verse 15, John 21. When they had finished breakfast, not much has been said yet. Jesus now, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he, Jesus, said to him, said to Peter, follow me. This is the word of God. Jesus spoke the truth in love. And this was for the discipleship of his men. It was for their discipleship as Jesus invested. He was constantly developing leaders, Peter, James, and John. Those are the, the trifecta of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. But in Acts 12, J James is going to, be ex he's going to be executed. His ministry is not going to be long. His life isn't going to be long. But Peter was the first apostle that would preach on the day of Pentecost. He was the leader of leaders. And John is going to be the last living apostle that's given to us by the Holy Spirit, this gospel. So these men are so important. 
Paul the Apostle would learn and he would communicate to the Ephesian church, Ephesians 4.15, about speaking truth and love. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Beloved, we have to speak the truth, but we have to speak the truth in love. And and we all have people that we know that if you say something that is truthful, they might be offended. And so we can tend to err and just say things that are kind and nice and just soft, but we must speak the truth in love. People must hear the gospel truth, and this is how the Lord Jesus deals with his men. He speaks to them, and he takes Peter right to task, but he speaks truthfully, and he speaks lovingly. We see that he, and this Sunday we're going to look at how Jesus restores the denier. That's what Peter is. Simon Peter, he is the apostle who denied Christ. He's the denier. We see this in the, in the, verses, that we just, in the verses that we just read, 15 through 19. And here we see that three times he was questioned by Jesus. This would have been painfully awkward. So difficult for Peter. It was one question for every time that Peter denied Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? In Luke's account, chapter 22, I'm I'm just going to go back there and, and just read this for us to hear how Luke portrayed the denial of Peter. Luke 22, and beginning in verse 31 Jesus is speaking, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. In verse 54 gives the account that they seized Jesus in the garden. They led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also is with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59 And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And listen to this now. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So back to John 21, when 
Jesus is questioning Peter and he questions him three times. This dreadful night is still painfully fresh in Peter's mind and on his heart. Can I ask you the question, what failure looms over your head? What are you afraid of that God's love cannot conquer? My friend, love abides. Love remains. Love forbears, refuses to walk away. And when others walk away from you, there is a love, there is a relationship that will never let you go. And it is Jesus who is God. So when Jesus asks these questions, they're painful to, to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses the word agapao. It's the highest form of love. It's a love by choice. It's not a response of a feeling or emotion. It's a love by choice. It's the love, it's the same word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? All the way back in John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus changed Simon Peter's name. He hasn't been calling him Simon, son of John. He's been calling him Cephas for three years. And now in this painful breakfast that's been so quiet, and Jesus breaks the silence with Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is questioning him. He says, do you love me more than these? Now, there's some ambiguity here. It's on purpose. Do you love me? Jesus could be saying more than the rest of the disciples love me. Remember, that's what Peter professed. No, not me. All these guys will fail you. Not me. I'm with you. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. Do you love me more than these, Peter? He could be saying, it's less likely, do you love me more than you love the rest of the disciples? I don't think that was in question. I think everyone knew that Peter loved Jesus. He also could be saying, and some would suggest, well, he's saying, do you love me more than the 153 fish that you caught? Do you love me more than the fishing, your own career, your livelihood, your reputation, who you were before I met you? Do you love me more than these? But I think it's best to understand that he's saying, do you, do you really love me more than the rest of the disciples love me? Do, do you really love me the way that you say you love me? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know, you, you have this intellectual knowledge. The, the Greek word is uh, yuda. You, you know this fact, Lord, I love you. And he uses a different word than Jesus uses. He uses the word phileo. I have affection for you. I like you. And in verse 16, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? Do you love me? Peter responds again, Lord, Lord, you know, Judah, that I phileo you. I, I love you. I, I like you. I have affection for you. So then the third time, Jesus uses that word. So Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? 
Peter's frustrated at this point. And he responds with, Lord, you know, you have this fact, you have this knowledge, you know everything. And But then he uses a different word, you, and he uses the word gnosko. You have an understanding by experience that I love you. So it's one thing to know about New York City. It's another thing to know by experience because you've walked the streets or you're from New York City. And this is where Peter uses a different word, and he says, you know, you have the understanding by experience. I love you. You know all things. I love that response from Peter. Can I ask you that question, my friend? Do you love Jesus Christ, the Jesus revealed in Scripture? Do you love him more than anything else? And you might say yes, you might say I'm not sure, but we all have areas in our lives that fight for and try to steal first place in our hearts for our first love. We have to fight that. We have to draw near to the Lord. So then how can we rightly display God's love in the middle of a strained or even a broken relationship that you might be involved in right now? And this is what I'm thinking in relationships that are strained right now. How can I rightly show the love of God? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love Jesus? Can you honestly say, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I pray that you can. Three questions. Then Jesus commissioned Peter three times. He's commissioned by Jesus. Jesus is reclaiming his disciples. He's teaching them, I'm not finished with you. There's still purpose for your lives. In the sovereign plan of God, I'm not done with you. So he says, In this commission to Peter, after he responds, I love you, I love you, you know that I love you, then he says, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to tend my sheep, a different word. I want you to feed my sheep. Verses 15, 16, and 17. It's where we get the word for pastor. I want you to pasture my lambs. How are we as, as shepherd elders, pastor elders, to feed the flock of God? It's the word of God that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so our primary responsibility, my primary responsibility, and for every servant of God, man of God, is to feed you the word of God, is to teach you the word of God. Feed my lambs. Tend, now Jesus uses a different word, tend my sheep. And Peter came to know this truth by experience, just like the Apostle Paul did. Acts 20, talking to the Ephesian elders, that Peter would write to the churches in 1 Peter chapter 5 about shepherding. And when you hear Peter from later on in life, And you hear how he's been changed. Listen to what he would say to other elders. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, 1 Peter 5 verse 1, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly 
as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter got it. He came to understand and experience what it is to shepherd the flock of God, to lead, feed, guide, protect, discipline, to feed my sheep. Jesus still had a place for the apostle Peter to serve. I want to tell you, the elders of this congregation take seriously the task of shepherding. And some sheep are so easy to shepherd. And some sheep are more stubborn. And you might know who you are. You might say, I'm a little more stubborn. I'm a little more self-willed. Listen, we all are in many ways. And the Lord is faithful. And we, we are to shepherd. And so we're going after those who wander. And we're going after those who are wayward. Going after those who are stubborn. I want you to know that love undergirds the work of the faithful pastor. And if you are listening to me this morning or whenever you're listening, if you are one of the wandering sheep from the congregation here at Grace, I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I'm, I'm probably praying for you. As the Lord brings you to mind, if you've been a member here or in fellowship here, or you've even visited here, as the Lord brings you to mind, I'm praying for you. I want to see you restored in fellowship. I want to see you know the joy of the Lord and, and fruitfulness in life and in ministry. So can I ask you the question? How well do you receive the shepherding of your pastors, of your elders? What is it that makes this relationship either joyous or difficult. And if you say, well, it's kind of difficult, maybe you're thinking because of areas where uh, we are difficult, where I'm difficult. I'm going to be honest with you. I have those areas. I have those faults and failures. And the Lord is working on me and he is faithful. But can I ask you a step to, to life and restoration? What is a step that you can take to increase the effectiveness of shepherding in your life, the individuals that God has placed in your life, and I'm one of them, what's a step that you can take to grow in that relationship in being shepherded by God's leaders of his church? What is the pattern that Jesus uses to bring a total restoration of Peter? I want us to see this. Now, as we look at this pattern for restoration, I want you to understand it's not necessarily in a, sequ a sequential order. What can we take away from this passage right here, verses 15 through 19, this whole passage? This is what I see that Jesus is doing. And this is what we need to do if we're going to see complete restoration address the heart. We always have to be about the heart. Jesus loved his men. He searched. He found them. Our goal is not, his goal was not to simply morally reform them, to get them to conform to some external uh, list of standards. He was concerned, concerned with the realm that God is always concerned with, and that is the heart. Deuteronomy 6, the heart. These laws on your heart. 
Our children are brought up in truth from the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7, when Samuel went to anoint King David, he looked at the first one. Look at this guy. He's handsome. And the Lord says, no, 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 it's not. I don't look like men look. I don't look upon the external. I look at the heart. I love the worship song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. So we're always addressing the heart. We also want to ask helpful questions. This includes asking hard questions, difficult questions, questions that might make someone uncomfortable, might challenge what they believe if they're not believing the truth. Jesus didn't shy away from dealing with Peter's failure. This is loving for us to ask the hard, the difficult questions. Jesus was always willing to go there with sinners, but he did it in a loving way. The only people that were not transformed by Jesus asking those questions were those who were too self-righteous or too stubborn to admit their faults and to receive God's grace. So my friend, questions, good questions help reveal the heart. Good doctors, they, ma- they master this. How are you feeling? What's it like? What is it here? What's going on there? They want to know and they have to hear, so they ask questions, a lot of questions. We want to affirm the relationship. This is what Jesus did. He served his men. He found his men. He was patient with his men. He sat down with them. He was quiet with his men. Let it all sink in. Let the sun come up. Let's get awake. And he was there. He wanted to prove once again that he was for them and he still loved them. And I don't know, it was maybe a little difficult for you to see on the pictures earlier, but the kids did something that I didn't expect for them to do when they colored these pictures. They're going to come up on the screen. The first picture, and maybe you didn't see it. I had to look closely. Uh, Joel's picture, and if you look and he portrays Jesus, do you see the disposition that he has with Jesus? I've zoomed in on Connor's picture. There he is at the head of the table, Sophia's picture and Jesus at the head of the table, the one who's serving, and he is there, and Caden's picture. In each of the pictures, in these four pictures, you see where I can get close enough to see those pictures that Jesus, these kids perceive him and understand him to be filled with love. He is smiling. Oh, we need to catch this as parents, as friends as church members in a church family together. Jesus had an issue with them, but he loved them. And these kids got it. You did, kids. You captured. That's what Jesus, whether or not he had a huge smile on his face, they could tell by his eyes that he loved them and he was smiling over them. This is the amazing love that we sing about, that you, my king, would die for me. So we want to address the heart, ask helpful questions, affirm the relationship, and we want to apply the gospel. In every relationship, apply the gospel. Every conflict, every separation, every strain on a relationship. Jesus died for Peter, and Peter would one day die for Jesus. And this was all possible because Jesus had died and rose again. And Peter had died already a long time ago when he put his faith and trust in Jesus. He died to the world. 
You see this in Luke 9, 23, 24, and 25. And Jesus, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, take up his death daily and follow me. And that's what Peter had done. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So verse 25 says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? Can we say with Jesus to those who have walked away from a relationship with us, who have failed us or we have failed them, can we say to them, I still love you? I can forgive you like we're taught by our master in Matthew chapter 18? Can we say that I died with Christ not to hold any grudges against you? God is the righteous judge. He will judge us all sovereignly and justly. Can we say with Jesus, I want God to still use you and you are still useful to me. You matter to me. And then allow, allow for healing and a return to usefulness. This is the pathway for restoration. And Jesus is saying at the end of this, follow me. Peter, I'm not done with you. Peter, follow me. And one day Peter would be crucified for following Jesus Christ. This is his death sentence, what Jesus in love is pronouncing over him. But his death would bring glory to God in a powerful way. And church history records that Peter would be put to death. He would be crucified upside down on a cross. And before he would die, his eyes would witness them putting his, his wife to death. And what church history records is Peter encouraging his wife as she was being martyred for Christ. Is he said to her, remember, dear, our Lord. I am absolutely confident that the eyes that pierced Peter's heart the night when he denied him, the eyes that, he, that met him when he drug the fish onto the beach and it, that said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then I want you to feed my sheep and tend my sheep and feed my sheep. I know that Peter remembered, dear, we're about to see his face again. And I think Ivy captured it. I think she captured it well. The pleasure of Christ, the joy of Christ, the love of Christ. And it made Peter be able to look in the face of his wife and those who executed his wife and those who would execute him and he could give back love and mercy and forgiveness and grace because he received love and mercy and grace. And he knew he didn't deserve it and you can't earn it. Peter himself would say, this was reckless love over me that chased me down, found me, and wouldn't let me go. Oh, my friend, I want you to know this love. I want you to experience this love, not just have an intellectual knowledge about a fact of Jesus' love from 2,000 years ago, but a real understanding of his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness in your life today, right now, wherever you are. Oh, that you would know his love.
when this message finishes, there's gonna be some questions come on the screen that you can uh, either take a screenshot or you can uh, take a, a picture with your phone and you can use them for reflection. You can use them for discussion to make application of this message for your life. If we're gonna speak the truth in love, that is the way that is possible for restoration because of what the lamb has accomplished on our behalf, that the lamb of God has become the shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the chief shepherd. Do you know him? He, I'm inviting you. I'm urging you. I'm calling you to trust in him today. Hear the words of Jesus. Follow me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your gospel. I'm thankful for the witness we have of these faithful men who gave us your word so that we may know that we have eternal life, so that we may know Christ as Lord and Savior. Help us, we pray, to take this word and apply it right now in our hearts and in our lives, in our relationships. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.